0: On today's Q&A, plyometrics, mental rehab, mobility work, and tibialis treatment. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. The podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life. But more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers, and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp, I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Thank you for joining me. I have uh, today, I'm using a new microphone. I'm using... um, this Rode pod mic it's called and I've got a new fancy boom arm which (laughs) is like one of those scissor arms that you might see um, podcasters or like radio um, jockeys kind of use and it's making me feel a bit more professional. Um, It's up and running but the microphone kind of has a little bit of volume issues so um, I'll see if I can fix that but anyway nonetheless we are on to Q&A number two Um, If you haven't listened to the first Q&A that we did at the start of the week, or last week, sorry, um, we talked about, well, I answered some of the questions from the Facebook responses. And so uh, today will be our Instagram responses, because all in all had so many responses that, um, had to break it into two and the ones that couldn't get on, uh, I tried my best to reach out and answer their question as best as I could. So in regards to the Instagram thing, thank you to Sophie, to Anne-Marie, to Lee Worth, to rubal I think you pronounce it, and David Sheehan, uh, for, for submitting a question. Um, hopefully I've reached out and answered, um, Personally, answered your question satisfactorily, and today we have four questions um, from our Instagram tribe, and we'll see um, how things how things go along here because we're talking about plyometrics, mental rehab. These are some great questions that I thought would be good for the um, the podcast today. Um, for For the future, if there is any other questions that you want to submit, I will continue. Um, offering it to social media, people who follow me on social media. Just make sure they're not too specific. Um, Just make sure it's when you do um, submit a question that it is something that will apply to a lot of people and not just you as the individual, because that's not a great podcast, but um, I will do my best to reach out. If it's too specific, I'll do my best to reach out and answer your questions. Um, So, Let's kick off today with our first question from Saeed. Why runners use polymetric training as strength training? While we run, we land on one leg. So this is polymetric. I mean, when we do high-speed run, this is high jump on one leg. And when we jog, this is small jumps on one leg. So what is the difference? So if I was to best answer this question, so I guess the question is around why should a runner do plyometric training in the gym or outside of running when running is just consisted of bouts of plyometric style force? Um, what's Why are we trying to achieve that? And it's a good question. It actually, looking at the question, it sort of like sparked my curiosity and I had to put my thinking cap on to really come up with a good answer or a way to answer it. And It made me just write down a few aims of why we do strength training in the first place. And so I've got a couple here. So then we'll tie it into plyometrics in a second. So one, why do we do strength training in the gym? It offers uh, more variety to the body. So we're not just doing the same thing over and over and over again, like we do with running. It kind of dissipates a lot of the load and changes the demands on the body so that we don't get an overuse injury. Um, So that would be working through, say, different ranges of movement or different, what we call time under tension is another phrase that we use. So running, which is kind of short, sharp, um, propel yourself off the ground and repeat that over and over and over again. High rep, um, we're talking in the gym, say, doing squats or lunges, different range of movement, a slow, controlled, so more time under tension, um, which carries over to the my second point, which, yes, so point number one, it offers a different variety to the body, but two, it applies a different type of stimulus. So we're not look so the power, the speed, endurance, um, a slow, controlled movement, all these different factors um, just allow the tendons, the muscles to adapt to different stimuli. And that's what strength training, that's an, another benefit that strength training does have. The third one would be, um, you have like control over the variables to a a really um, fine degree. And so that being when you're in the gym and you do your squats, lunges, kettlebell swings, what have you, you have a very um, in-depth control around the weight that you use, the sets that you use, the amount of reps, the amount of rest in between sets All these sort of things are very finely controlled, which is really nice because we can find your adaptation zone and can finely tune um, that response and those variables and can turn up those variables slowly, gradually over time. Um, Similar to what we do with running, but running accumulates a lot of force very quickly. Every single step that you take, say through the knee, every single step is two to three times your body weight that can ramp up quite quickly. And so um, that's another one. And the fourth one I wrote down of why we do strength training is that it just builds up the capacity for certain structures to tolerate higher forces for running, required for running. And so let's just say uh, we know your Achilles works quite hard as a runner. So if we were to do, um, yes, running produces a certain capacity, but if we're in the gym and we do some slow controlled heavy stuff or if we do some plyometric stuff, it, adap- it adapts a different stimulus and as a result will um, build up the capacity for that tendon to tolerate load under different conditions. And so when you go back to running, you're a bit more resilient and your um, your uh, the tendon is a little bit more unshakable, you could say. Uh, because you've um, thrown different variety and you've thrown different stimuli at it and therefore increase its capacity. So yes, variety. Yes, uh, establishing a different type of stimulus. Yes, having real control over the variables that you put it through and building up the capacity. That's why we like to do strength training. That's why strength training has so many benefits for endurance athletes. So if I was to apply this to say maybe a power-based Exercise, let's just say we use the example of a kettlebell swing. Um, We know kettlebell swings and those sort of power based exercises are good for runners. Does it offer variety? Yes, it offers variety. You're sort of going into a deadlift kind of action, which is something you don't do as a runner. It's applying a different stimulus. So it's more of a slow, um, it's slower to swing a kettlebell than it is to step while you're running. But you're also Propelling a lot of power moving forward. We have control over the variables, so how much, how heavy the kettlebell is, how many sets and reps we do. Um, And it definitely does build up the capacity, particularly for the glutes, particularly for the hamstrings, um, particularly for the lower back required for running. And so this is why we would offer that, um, offer kettlebell swings as well in addition to your running. And so getting more specific and talk about something that's plyometric. Um, So if we're going running versus uh, skipping or like, let's say like a pogo jump where you're jumping up and down and having a really quick explosive movement up, you're jumping as high as you can, then you're landing. Um, But as you land, you're trying to propel yourself back up as quickly as you can. So there's a very, um, intense plyometric um short contact time and we're going for height so we're going as high as we can and just doing repeats of those let's just say we do um five sets of 12 to 15 of those before you and you start losing quality you start losing the height of those jumps and the quality of those jumps after about 12 to 15 reps um so why would we do this if running is just the um a certain bout or repeats of this sort of plyometric over and over and over again. So yes, um, running is a plyometric exercise, but when it comes to this skipping or these pogo jumps, we're offering a different stimulus. So we're offering, um, power. So how often would we run? Even when we sprint, we're not trying to leap as far as we can. That's not what running does. And so if we're jumping up as high as we can, it does offer a different stimulus. We do have control over the variable, so the sets, reps, the rest in between. And if we were to do these, it builds up the capacity for the calf, builds up the capacity for the Achilles, builds up the capacity for the plantar fascia. And overall, if you were to do these plyometric exercises while still maintaining your, your current level of running, um, the fact that we're doing these different exercises builds up your resiliency and as a result, you become a better runner. You become this more resilient runner because when you go back to running, your calf, Achilles, plantar fascia, they are now accustomed to a different style of stimulus that becomes stronger under that different stimulus. And therefore you're more... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow Or Resilient. And so I guess uh, if they might create the argument, if someone's listening and trying to hear this answer and saying, well, while I am doing, if it's different, why am I doing it? So if, shouldn't I just be adapting to running? So if running is a bout of plyometric exercises over and over and over again, shouldn't I just adapt to that type of plyometric exercise. And so if you present that argument, then that goes back to the debate of why strength training is, um, it goes back to the, the debate of strength training versus non-strength training for runners. And I've already got a couple of, um, I guess, uh, evidence-based, um, evidence-based arguments against that of why strength training is so good for you. And so, um, yes, we do need that variety. We need different stimulus and we need to become unshakable by, uh, by adapting to different stimulus and yeah, different variety within the body. So I hope that answers your question, say, thank you very much for, for asking it. Okay. Let's move on. Hey Brody, this is Brian from North Carolina in the United States. I'm loving the podcast and the exclusive patron content on your app. And I do have one question, and that is, how do you as a physiotherapist encourage people to look at a rehabilitation program post-injury from a mental and emotional aspect? Such a great question. Thanks, Brian, for asking this one. Uh, This one I could probably do as a solo episode, uh, but I'll answer it. Um, I guess from my end, when I'm treating runners online and I see so many different types of injuries and so many different type of frustrations that accompany that based on like um, whether they can run or can't run or running through pain or how long they've had it for. It changes my approach to, to this sort of question, but um, I guess depending on the individual, I try my best to um, have them do something to maintain their fitness levels as much as possible. Um, That's one of the first things that I think about. Okay, what can we do for this athlete? What can we do for this runner? How much running can they tolerate? If anything, um, if they can't run, how much should we, uh, well, what other base of exercise can we do? Because that just allows for a better experience, a better rehab experience moving forward. And so- Um, Yes, depending on the injury, but can we do some type of cross training? Can we do swimming, cycling, elliptical, Stairmaster, all these sort of things? Um, Something that they enjoy, but is still maintaining their fitness level that isn't stirring up their injury. Um, Can they do some strength training? What type of strength training can they do? Uh, Can they do some sort of running program? So a lot of times when I see a runner, they might think they're unable to run but I give them just a really basic walk-run program and they're able to do that and symptoms don't flare up and um, it helps their mental well-being because they're still out getting fresh air, they're still out um, yeah, feeling like they're achieving something because we know one of the big hindrances when it comes to recovery is those runners who love running, they do it every day, they do it for um, mental clarity, they do it for yeah, that emotional well-being. um, When they can't do it because they're, injured and they feel like even just low amounts of running flares them up, then it really hurts them. It really um, taps into their psyche. It's a real negative impact. And so just trying to find out what they can do. If they can do some run walk programs, that's exactly what we're going to do alongside all the other rehab options that we do have and then building up that capacity as much as we can. So that's step one. Just uh, when when you're talking about the mental emotional approach to rehab, trying to get them to do something is always a really nice um, nice option. And it'll just depend on the type of injury, depend on how long they've had it for, depend on the uh, irritability of that uh, particular injury site. But that's where trial and error comes into it as well. So that was the first thing. Um, the other thing I I always make sure is all their questions are addressed when, you know, if, Uh, you're listening to this now and you've been a past client of mine, you'll know that maybe three to five times um, during our consult, I'll say, do you have any more questions? uh, Does that make sense? Um, Did I answer your question properly? And just making sure that they do have clarity around what caused their injury or um, what's contributing to um, the detriment of that injury or why it hasn't been getting better all these sort of things, what's good for it, what's not good for it, all these questions just leave, leaves the, the runner with a lot of clarity and that helps them mentally and emotionally because if they're puzzled, if they have, well, first of all, if there's any misconceptions that they, they believe, um, if there's any frustrations that haven't been addressed um, or if they're just not sure about things, they're not sure about the movement, uh, the, the management plan moving forward just creates a lot of frustration and um, yeah, the the actual um, feeling puzzled and feeling like you don't have a plan moving forward and feeling like you're not sure what's um, good or bad about this injury does hinder things as well. So I'd make sure as a runner listening to this, making sure when you see a health professional, you're asking as many questions as you can or as you want, and then making sure the responses you get back are adequate, making sure you understand the responses that you get back Point three, which I kind of mentioned before, is just having a plan, having a plan and a direction and having some timeframes and um, just working up that rehab ladder with that plan. It just mentally and emotionally, the approach is a lot better because you can see some goals moving forward. And so what that might look like is saying if someone's had a tendinopathy for um, uh, say six months making sure you allow enough timeframes, say three to four months of building up this rehab ladder, making sure we start with something that they're quite capable of and then slowly building up, progressing through that rehab ladder and just giving them a plan because that really um, helps things. It really helps the the mental side of things. Uh, The fourth one was laying down expectations. Timeframes is one of those things. So if someone's had a tendinopathy for 12 months, Need to lay down some expectations that research shows four to six months. um, Generally speaking, four to six months is a good rehab timeframe, but some people might take six to 12 months and people think they're going to get better in a couple of weeks is just uh, unrealistic. And if it's not addressed from the get go, then it just sets them up for frustration moving forward. Um, So expectations and depending on the injury, depending how long they've had it for, It's just like letting them know that it might not be a smooth sailing. Let them know that there might be some flare-ups. And flare-ups are normal. Flare-ups happen all the time. It's not something you might have done wrong. You could have done everything right, but a flare-up has occurred or maybe we have to take a couple of steps back. Um, I did a a couple of episodes on this around um, your your rehab. What was the the title? Recovery in your rehab. Um, Just laying down expectations and going through this as well, making sure there's um, the expectation that's not always going to be smooth sailing. There's going to be some hurdles. There's going to be some setbacks. And that's okay. As long as generally speaking, week by week, month by month, we're moving in the right direction. And so it's good to lay those down from the get-go. And Similar, I guess, this ties in quite well with this, but it's having a a flare-up plan as well. So knowing what to do if there is a flare-up, whether that be random or whether that be not so random, um, just saying, okay, day one of this, day one of flare-up plan, this is what we do. Day two, this is what we do. And then we slowly get back in and we're very proactive with that approach instead of just being down. um, We then have, yeah, that approach to take, which is why I love... The approach I make when it comes to online physio because people book in for packages and so the packages being uh, either book in for a month or several months um, or even a week and if a flare-up does happen what like within this package is you have unlimited contact points so if you wake up and you have a flare up, they just message me and say, Brody, I'm feeling this, what should I do? And that's when we can lay down a plan and it's kind of like a a one-on-one coaching kind of role as well as a physio role. So that's um, what I love about my job and my role as being that side-by-side coach in case these unexpected things do happen. Um, So I hope that answers your question, Brian. Um, That's what I've got down. Let me just do a bit of a recap. So one, making sure that Fitness levels are maintained as much as possible or you're staying as active as you can without the injury flaring up. Number two, making sure you have all your questions addressed and you have, you're have you walking away with a lot of clarity. Number three, have a plan and a direction working up that rehab ladder. Number four, laying down the expectations. And number five, having that flare-up uh, management plan. Hey, Brody. So a question I would like to ask is what is your opinion on general mobility work and also things like soft tissue mobilization so things like foam rolling using lacrosse balls uh, and do you think they have a benefit for helping with recovery from general endurance sports you know where is their place in a runner's routine you know how many times a week would you recommend doing it uh, is it something that you could be doing every day Uh, And yeah, that's it. Thank you for answering my question. David, it's good to hear from you. Thanks for submitting this question. Um, It's a good one. And I think even just looking back on my opinion with this topic, um, I think it's changed gradually just over the past couple of years. Like when I first graduated, um, I was in the mindset of a lot of health professionals that I, I see or what, um, runners tell me. And it's like, yes, the foam rollers, very good for runners. Um, release that ITB, release the glutes, um, you know, do those trigger point releases, makes you feel better, increases your mobility. Um, that was when I first graduated. Then as I delved into the research, I think I swung too much the other way. So like you'd probably say maybe 12 months ago, um, I'd say just don't do it. It's not for it's not for everyone. Uh, not that it's not for everyone. I'd I'd probably just shy away from it, saying it doesn't do anything because I was looking at it from an evidence-based um, physical approach. Um, because we know that foam rollers don't release things. We know that foam rollers, massage balls, like the mobility work stretches, um, especially foam rollers and massage balls, they don't. Actually, physically break up anything. It's just pushing on a sore spot and moving things around and doesn't um, break up any tissue. It might make things feel better. Or you might perceive that that's what's happening, but really you're, you're not doing anything to the properties of that muscle or that tendon Um, so that's why I I pretty much swung the other way. Once I read the research and saw what available evidence was out there, but now I'm kind of like slightly leaning back towards, um, somewhere in the middle where now I recognize that massage balls, foam rollers, they help a lot of people and it helps settle down a lot of people that are in pain. So it's, um, it's something that I'm struggling to come up with uh, like a, a really nice, concise, opinion on because for some people have extreme benefit whereas others it doesn't work just as just doesn't work quite the same way and i know a lot of runners don't like the foam roller it just is way too painful and annoying when it comes to releasing their glutes or their itb but for some it works wonders so there might be somewhere in the middle it might be a bit of a trial and error because while i know that it doesn't help runners physically I do know that for some runners, it helps significantly for their, for the mentally and they feel better because um, let's just say if they have sore glutes or sore ITB, and they do a lot of foam roller work and that settles down their pain. Um, what's happening is uh, it's probably tapping into a bit of their neural pathway, so desensitizing a lot of those pain signals. Even if it's just in the short term, it would still have some a lot of um, benefit for them and make them realize that they do need these these sort of um, interventions so like there there's a place for both there's is my opinion somewhere in the middle and i do recognize also that stretching that um doing these foam roller things doing these massage balls if it feels good for you it actually has very good mental benefits with um switching your body into recovery mode And we know this from the recovery month that we did. Anything that will help switch you away from that stress, that fight or flight response, away from the symptomatic nervous system being quite activated and all those cortisol hormones circulating throughout the body and inhibits our ability to recover. If you're mental release, if once you get down, do some stretches, do some foam rolling, do some trigger point massage balls, if you feel great from that and you feel relaxed from that, um, you feel like you've recovered, it switches the body into recovery mode. Those It triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, it starts to release, um, starts to downregulate the cortisol throughout the body and can be, have real benefit for your recovery. So, I'd say try everything. Try, um, if you don't like stretching, if you don't like foam rolling, then you can find another recovery method. For example, like sleep and um, meditation and deep breathing exercises. But if you find that the foam rolling does have some benefit, if you feel, if you do 20 minutes of a foam rolling session, then you get up and you feel amazing. Definitely keep that in your program. Definitely keep that in a couple of times a week. Um, but it will just depend on the individual, and that's why we don't have a lot of answers here, and that's why my opinion is of often shifting, is because it will uh, it will depend on the individual themselves, and it does require it does require some trial and error. So um, that's where I sit on that opinion. So thanks for asking that question, David. The next one comes in from Tamsin, and sorry, uh, Tamsin, I. Uh, we're we're having a bit of issues getting her um, voice recording across, <laughs> so I'll just read it out. Um, and I want to say a big thanks to to you as well, Tamsin, because um, you kind your question kind of had a two parter, and the the first part being around um, this TIBANT. How do we overcome TIBANT? And I'll answer that now. But the second part of the question was really intriguing. I found it really interesting. It was around how we deal with multiple injuries. How do we prioritize? Um, time in our day if we do have multiple injuries to try and fit into our busy lifestyle. And I'll actually take that question and um, convert it into a solo episode for for the listeners. And so I thought um, there's enough content in there to answer that question to turn into a whole episode. So um, thanks for that insight as well. So I guess um, to answer your question, Well, I've actually read it out. What do you recommend? What is the recommended intervention for tibialis anterior overuse injuries? And the, um, I guess to take us back uh, about what uh, the tibialis anterior or the tibant actually is. um, So it is the muscle that's on the front of the shin. It's kind of like the shin muscle and it's responsible for lifting your toes up. So if you're standing, uh, lifting your toes up towards the ceiling is how that muscle activates and the primary role of that muscle. And so usually if you have an injury to this or an overuse injury, you're overusing this muscle, usually with excessive what we call dorsiflexion, so lifting those toes up. And if there's anyone who is familiar with the running sort of motion, when you make contact with the ground, when you, when you initially make contact with the ground, people contact at different angles and people contact with different techniques. And so if you are a midfoot striker or a forefoot striker, you don't have any um, dorsiflexion. But if you are a heel striker, you'll notice that when the heel first makes contact with the ground, the toes are pointed up slightly. And so those who... um, There seems to be a bit of a pattern with those who have tibant overuse injuries are the ones that when that heel first makes contact with the ground, the toes are slightly higher up towards the ceiling. So, um, we can change a few things around. We can, um, do a few things to reduce the demand of your tib ant. So the first thing I'd recommend is, um, making sure that your cadence is addressed because if your cadence is really low, then, um, it may contribute to this overuse injury. If you, if your cadence is at say 150 and we increase it to 160, your legs turn over quicker and your body doesn't have enough time to reach out, contact with the heel with a really high toe and then slam on the ground and repeat that cycle. Because you're ticking the legs over quickly, it doesn't have time to do that and you might find that you're contacting um, still with your heel but less out in front of you and less with the toes up in the air. So that might be something we can change for those who do have a low cadence. Um, If you are at a quite adequate cadence and your toes are still quite high in the air, then we just do some cueing to reduce your dorsiflexion. So reduce that angle of those those toes pointing up. They can still point up, but just not as much. And sometimes runners have good enough awareness to make that correction. And if they can't, then maybe we try visualizing um, making contact with the ground with the midfoot. So we're not necessarily running on the forefoot like a toe runner but we're not necessarily running with the heel either. We're, we're somewhere in between and we kind of visualize that when you first make contact with the ground, it is with like the whole entire foot. So the whole entire foot makes contact at the same time. So that can be maybe some cueing that we can do. Um, running quieter or running softer is something that we might do where people try and run quieter and they all automatically make those corrections away from a excessive dorsiflexion. Um, so that's another one. So technique aside, addressing this, this injury can, um, help with just a really good return to run as well. Like a good return to run plan because you could be doing all the right things, um, and have this overload issue. But if your return to run is too excessive or you're ramping up too quickly, that injury will continue to flare things up. Even if you've made all those corrections. So a combination of the two, we don't necessarily need to always change someone's running style but if they're eliciting certain um, properties or certain patterns, then we can make that correction, but then a good return to run plan always needs to be in there. So hopefully that answered your question, Tamsin. I um, really wanna thank you for that idea that I'll use in that um, solo episode. So um, let me do a bit of a summary for today. So, if we're talking about things like plyometrics, we know that we implement plyometrics because it offers different variety to the body. We're doing, uh, we're offering a different stimulus and overall contributing to build up your running resilience. Um, when it comes to the mental and emotional approach to rehab, making sure that we have um, the right expectations and the right questions that are answered, mobility work. Perhaps you can do it a couple of times a week if it feels good for you, that being stretches, foam rollers, mobility balls, but just make sure that we're not convincing ourselves as breaking up muscle tissue. Um, If it feels good for you, it feels good for you and um, try not to um, convince everyone that it just works for everyone because it just doesn't. And when it comes to tibant overuse injuries, there can be a couple of technique changes that we can make um, as well as a good effective return to run plan. So thanks to everyone for submitting those questions. Even if you didn't have your um, question answered today, thank you very much for submitting them anyway. I'll continue doing these um, maybe every six weeks or so doing a Q&A and a um, And yeah, hope you enjoyed. Hope you learned a lot. So until next time, remember every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes and last but not least who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it i look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your run smarter path